Hey, uh, here we are, still in January, but uh, 15 days in, halfway through the first month of the year. All right, only what, three months away from tax day or something, right? Woo, now everybody's depressed. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mentioned last week that uh, the message was really getting back to basics, and uh, this month, um, I mean, next week definitely will be focused on our anniversary but, but it'll still be getting back to basics. The messages this month will be related to some really important basic things for us as uh, followers of Christ. Uh, last week we talked about Bible reading and prayer, and I encouraged you to uh, commit to reading and praying regularly for 21 days, kind of to establish that pattern. Uh, and uh, how, how, well, maybe I shouldn't ask how you did. I've got to confess, I, I did miss one day. Now, I still prayed and read the Bible that day because I was preparing a message, all right? And I guess that kind of counts, but, uh, but uh, I, I try, try, to, try to have some personal time, too, and I, and I missed that day. So I just, you know, but I got back to it, like I talked about last week, you know, don't let that discourage you. So I hope you're continuing on and uh, encouraging each other because that's such an important, important part. Well, today we're going to talk about our commitment to Christ and His church, um, we're going to be looking at a portion of the book of Ephesians, and, uh, which is what one commentator says is the premier New Testament document dealing with the doctrine of the church. And I just noticed that there's a slide that you're looking at right now that says, living out our faith in an increasingly hostile culture. I had asked him to put that up, and then I forgot I was going to say something about it. So here we go. So just kind of pause from where I was. Let's go back for a little commercial. Um, I serve on the, uh, the advisory board of the C.S. Lewis Institute in the central Pennsylvania. I've gone through their program. They have a, uh, a great discipleship program. It lasts uh, a year. They have a year one and a year two, and I've been privileged to be a part of that. And I've encouraged some of you to do that and think about that. The new year starts in June coming up. But they're, they are um, sponsoring a special lecture this Friday night. It's going to be at the... Uh, Monaghan, you can hardly see that there, but the historic Monaghan Church in Dillsburg. Yeah, there, there's the information. Um, the, the, uh, the topic, as you saw, is about, you know, dealing, uh, living as a Christian within the challenges of our culture. And, and certainly it's an apologetics focus of how we really live out our faith and share our faith in the midst of these times. So I, uh, the, the uh, speaker is a professor at Capitol Bible Seminary and uh, Dr. Mark Farnham and a great speaker, and I, I'd encourage, I'm going, okay, it's five bucks, wow, you can't beat five bucks, I mean, where can you go somebody, somewhere for five bucks, all right, and, and if you don't want to do the registration online, uh, next slide, I'll show where to go, um, you can go online and, and register, uh, but if you don't want to do that, and you want to just say, hey, Pastor Glenn, I'd like to go too, here's five bucks, I'll register you, okay, I'll do that for you, all right, so um, I'd like to have some people join me, I think you'd enjoy it, so if you don't have something going on Friday night or you can change it, join me there at uh, the church there in Dillsburg. It's uh, right next to the post office, by the way. Parking's a little tough there, so uh, get there early enough that you can find a spot. All right. And the post office won't be open, so you can use some of those spots. It's okay. And if anybody asks you to say, my pastor told me it was okay, and they'll say, here's a ticket. All right. <laughs> All right, back to the message. All right, our commitment to Christ and his church. Um, this letter in Ephesians uh, that Paul writes to the church on how to be the church, to live out what Christ has in mind for us to be his bride. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. So I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, reading just a portion at a time, we're actually going to go from 1 to 16, but I'm going to begin with Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, again reading from the New Living Translation. And um, you can follow along on the screen or follow along in your Bible. Okay, Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. 
There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. It is to be realized by the Christian that being committed to Christ is to be also committed to his church. His church, we read in other parts of the New Testament, is referred to as his bride. Now, as a married man, I would have a hard time feeling good about a relationship with you if you would be negative and hostile toward my wife. Well, I often hear people say things like, you know, I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm not okay with the church. Well, again, I'm speaking to the choir. You're here, all right? But you've probably heard that. Maybe you've even thought it yourself. I mean, sometimes the church is a tough place, right? Just look around you. All those people, they're tough. <laughs> no, but there's a personality issues. There's all kind of stuff we deal with. And many times when we've had some scars or there's some situations that maybe didn't go. I just was talking to some people this week. And they were telling me about some experiences in church. And it was not right. And you know what I said? And it really came from my heart. I said, I'm sorry. I mean, it really breaks my heart. Because the devil gets his way. And they miss that which God has prepared for them, which is so good. Now, it's not always feeling good. I know that. But it's certainly important. Paul really spends this whole book, as he talks to the Ephesian church, about the importance of the church. And we're just looking at this one section today. But, but it really is an appeal from him. As a matter of fact, if you look at the first verse that we read, uh, he says, I beg you, or I appeal to you, or I, I plead with you, hey, make this important to you. Don't just let it be about what I'm saying, but may this be part of your life. Yeah. And, and that's my heart this morning. You know, may it not just be something that you expect your pastor to say, <laughs> that the church is important, because that's where he works, you know, and that's where he's got to get people to come so he has a job. No, but may it be really from our own personal hearts that we're committed. And I, and I know you are. I'm not, this is not to be condemning or um, to put any kind of a negative spin on it. But I do think we need to be at times reminded, challenged, to get back to that which matters. I mean, these were people who were already committed to Christ. They, they were already meeting together. But Paul's saying, hey, I just want to challenge you. And, and where he did so from prison. <laughs> he did so basically saying, hey, the body of Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, he's writing from prison saying, I'm missing this. <laughs> I, I, I'm missing that fellowship, and I, I'm yearning for it, and I want you not to give up on it because it's important. And so he writes to them with that commitment. Yeah. You see, those who are saved by Jesus are the children of God, and we are to live as a family, and this is where we gather as a family to grow, to find protection, to be accountable to each other and help each other in that process, and also it's a place where we serve the Lord together. So what does this commitment look like according to what we have read in this passage? Well, first, we need to remember that we have been called by God. That's what Paul says. Lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Often we think of that term as only for those that maybe have entered into full-time ministry. All right. Paul's not talking about all of them being pastors or full-time Christian workers. He's talking to all the people in the church. And he's saying, hey, all of you, remember, God's called you. Your participation in the body is not just because you decided that's where you wanted to go or where you wanted to hang out for a period of time until you were upset and left. No, this is a calling from God. 
don't forget the seriousness of that. But also, remember the privilege of it. Because, you see, the calling is that God's got a plan for you. And, and, and a key factor of that plan is to be a part of the local congregation. Now, this certainly is a broad letter in lots of ways. I mean, certainly the Word of God is for all people around the world, and the church is global. I mean, we are one when it comes to all who believe in Christ, and someday we'll all be together. But the living out of that is definitely in the local congregation. And Paul is writing to a local congregation. So it's for us. It it might have been written back there to the Ephesian church, but it's for us today here at Community. We have been called by God to be a part of his family. To live as family. Now, I know, you, know, I, you know I'm an only child, and you think, you don't really know what a family's like because you don't have any brothers and sisters to fight with. Well, don't worry. I've seen plenty of fights in families. Okay, I, I know how it works. and I, I got other cousins and all. Okay, we, we know how that works. We also know, don't we, that when you're really family, even though you might not always get along real well together, you're really connected. I mean, when you're really family, if somebody else tries to step into the fight, guess who's going to be the victim? the person that tries to step in, right? We're family. And I think that's the idea of the family of God. Now, hopefully, we can get beyond the conflicts, and that's where Paul goes right away. (laughs) He says, right away, in your calling, this is how you're to be, right? Because he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Why do you think he writes that right away there? Kind of a basic deal, isn't it? What do we wrestle with? Huh? We wrestle with wanting our own way. We, we wrestle with not being humble and gentle. It's not, I mean, I think in my mind as I read the scriptures and know that I belong to Jesus, that that should be kind of a natural thing. But it's not. It really just doesn't ooze out of us all the time. We need to work at it. He reminds them of that. I imagine there probably (laughs) were some situations in Ephesus, even though they were a pretty good church, really. But there were situations where there wasn't humility. There there, there wasn't gentleness. There wasn't wasn't patience. They they weren't making allowance for each other's mistakes. You know, we want others to treat us like that, don't we? We we, want to receive that, but we don't always remember to give it. It's a good reminder. This is what makes the family of God really be a true family. Our loyalty is to him because of what he's done for us. We love him because he first loved us. But our living out this calling, this relationship with God, is not just to be a private thing that doesn't involve other people because his desire is that we love one another. That as his kids... He can smile and say, look, look what they're doing. Yeah. We'll be patient with others' faults and failures by being loving. A major focus, as you see in this passage, and and we see really through the prayer of Jesus and much of what Jesus talked about, is the importance of unity, the pursuit of unity within the body of Christ. There's a lot of talk about unity these days, that we just all get along and we all kind of, it doesn't matter really what anybody believes, we just kind of all be one. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about truly being united around Jesus. Okay? He's the one that makes us one. <laughs> he, he's the key. He's the only one that can make us one. I, I, I've seen a lot of attempts at people getting to be united in my lifetime. <laughs> and there's legislation. There's international agreements. You know, there, there's all kind of stuff. But you know, it's amazing how hostilities still remain. Yeah, it, it, you know, you can write anything down you want. But unless there's a change in a heart, there's not really a change in that relationship. But that's what Jesus can do, right? He, he puts us at peace with God. Right? We're no longer at war with him. But that's supposed to be reflected in how we are with, with each other, too. And we've got to work at it. We've got to work at it. Yeah. And so that's the calling. Because he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace 
<laughs> yeah, work at being connected. And the way for that is to not allow the differences and struggles that we might have with somebody else to dominate, but to really seek peace, to keep short accounts, to admit when we have messed up and not been nice to somebody else, and, and, and to get together when there's been a riff and to not let it grow. It, it's hard. You know, as we start a new year, it's a great time to think about, okay, it's new. It's a new year. Am I going to start it new? <laughs> Maybe there's some old stuff that needs to be renewed. <laughs> Maybe there's some old bitterness and relationship problems that I need to get to. And to ask the Lord to help me to do so. That will please your Heavenly Father. You know, we can't say, oh, it's not my job to be humble, gentle, patient, loving, and to pursue peace and unity. It's just a pastor and elder's job. You know, we got a new elder. It's going to be all his job. Okay, Seth, it's your job now. You got to keep unity there, okay? All right. You know, it'll be his initiation, right? As elder, all the other elders will say, "Okay, go to him." <laughs> Poor guy. He's already lost his hair, so you can do more of that. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's for all of us, isn't it? And we need to be intentional about this for it to take place. It's God's plan. It's our calling. It's his desire for the church to be one in spirit so that we have hope for the future. We will make it if we make it together. We will make it if we make it together. You know, when churches eventually die off, you know what happens? There's less and less people. <laughs> There's people not getting along. They've left. They're gone, you know, and, and it just gets smaller and smaller. And it just becomes this little group of people that they, they put up with each other's Persnickety, but nobody else likes them. And hey, I, I've watched churches die. It just happens. Yeah, I can think of some right now in my mind. We don't want to be there. We, we're a hundred years old. Not time to quit. It's by the way amazing that we're a hundred years old. A lot of churches don't make it that long. A lot of them. So we we will celebrate next week. We're gonna have some surprises. All right, you better be here. Okay, it'll be fun, and we're gonna celebrate all year. A second big point related to unity is that God is all about oneness. You see Paul writing that? He uses the word one a lot, doesn't he? There's one body, one spirit, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One, one, one. And the key here in oneness, as we mentioned in unity, is that Jesus is the one who will make us one. Jesus is the key to oneness, right? Um, think about it. What does he mean here? Well, certainly, as we look at the history of Christianity, we, we know that we're not one group of people. We are community Christian fellowship. Down the road, there's the Baptist church, there's the Church of Christ, there's the Presbyterian. I'm going to miss somebody, so I won't tell them all. Okay, but but you know, there's a different gatherings, and, and there's different gatherings under the same name. I mean, you got various Baptist churches. Okay, all kind, right? So we're not really one. We're not meeting in one place all the time. So what does this mean? Well, certainly in the local church, he says, really emphasize that. May our oneness be around Christ. May our oneness be about our faith and be about Jesus as Lord, right? And, and may our oneness really be about the fact that, that we, and he uses the word baptism here, one baptism, okay? Um, that, that, that means basically two things, really. First of all, it means that we have all been baptized or received the Holy Spirit. Okay? When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, okay? And he, he, he kind of washes you clean, takes over, <laughs> all right? All right. But it's also the, the whole idea of us declaring our faith. That's part of what baptism is for the believer, isn't it? That we're declaring our faith in Christ. Uh, there's one baptism. It might be, I mean, we, have, we know baptism is, is done a variety of ways throughout the church. Uh, but, but the idea of declaring Christ, living by the Spirit of God because he dwells within us, and making sure that everybody knows that this is my commitment to follow him. That's the oneness that holds us together. All right. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. And certainly one God and Father. Now, you know, 
I'm sure that that statement throughout time has been so important for the church in holding on to what matters and what is clear, significant, orthodox doctrine, and that is that God is one, but in three persons, right? And then the Trinity is certainly a challenge to fully understand, but the Bible clearly teaches it, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All different roles, all different personalities, but one God, all right? And so Paul is writing this here to the church. Don't get confused by people who tell you something different, who, 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 don't, who deny the Trinity. And it's still true today. <laughs> Be careful. And it's everywhere. I mean, cult groups and people that look like Christians. Okay? But when you get down to this basic of one God, one Father, one Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit that baptizes us, I mean, all of those together, they're, they're all mixed up and all over the place dangerous. Be careful. And, and Paul will talk about that a little bit later in this passage, about the importance of not being confused by other false teaching. So for us to honor God, we need to work at oneness and unity. It's we, not me. We need to move from I to we. That, that needs to be our perspective, to serve one another, to love one another. Okay, let's move to the next section, uh, Ephesians 4. Verses 7 to 13. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Paul shares here that, that God has given a special gift to the church through Christ. That gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to his disciples, it's important that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you all the time. He's going to dwell in you, not just be with you. Okay. And that's the wonder of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. But he also gives special gifts, special charis or grace gifts to all who belong to him. Every one of you who has received Christ as your Savior is gifted by God with a special gift that it's really, it could be connected to your, um, your personal strengths, but it doesn't have to be. God gives the gift. God uses, it's usually something that we do that we realize as we're doing it, it's not because we have gone to college for it or, or whatever it might be, but, but God's using us. God uses us. And, and certainly this list that Paul uses is not exhaustive. Matter of fact, it's a specific list as he talks about the leadership of the church. I mean, certainly there are other places in Corinthians and elsewhere where he talks about other gifts of the Spirit. And uh, I don't really think that the Bible's list is exhaustive. Uh, there's certainly a variety of gifts. These are examples. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done a uh, kind of a gift search for yourself uh, where you take one of these tests. Sometimes that's dangerous, you know. Uh, I really think that gifts are, are best identified within the body, <laughs> that God's people say, hey, I, I really see God using you in this area. Okay. Sometimes they're helpful, though, to get you thinking that way. So it's not evil, but just be careful that you don't say, well, I got it figured out. I know my gift. And then you start doing something, and everybody says, what are they doing that for? My goodness. Okay. All right. So we need each other to help, help discover that, too. But, but, but we also need each other, right? Because if we're only depending upon those who are actively using their gifts, we're kind of 
and a lot of people aren't. We're kind of walking around handicapped, right? Okay, it's like if you uh, were trying to get around with one leg, uh, half an arm, no eyes. I mean, you know, what would, that would be strange if, if all the parts weren't, weren't accurate. Now, Paul uses that illustration in Corinthians when he talks about giftedness, that we're, we're like the human body. Every person has a part. Everybody's doing something. I've often wondered if I'm the armpit, but that's okay. All right, but, but yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> he doesn't really mention that, so maybe that's not part of it. All right. But yeah, we're all gifted. And so Paul then speaks of the authority of Christ to be living out that which he has given to us. He uses an interesting passage here from Psalm 68, 18. One that would have been recognized certainly by the Jewish believers. And uh, thinking back to what David wrote there. And he says, when he ascended to the heights... He led a crowd of captives and gifts, gave gifts to his people. Well, it's very obvious uh, as we think about what Christ has done, and he's referring to Jesus, that uh, Jesus has ascended, of course, after his death and resurrection, and is, sits at the right hand of the Father. But that ascending, as he says, as it says in this passage in Psalms, also emphasizes the fact that he descended to be with us. Okay, There's been a lot of controversy at times about the word there, but really if you look at the context, it's very clear to me that that means that Jesus came from heaven to us. <laughs> he came to dwell with us. He came to pay for our sin. He dwelt among us, and, and now he's ascended, but in his ascension, he hasn't left us alone. He has gifted us with the Holy Spirit and specifically with spiritual gifts that come from the Holy Spirit that are assigned to us. So we have the presence of God with us all the time, in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful place. And it says that he has, he has led a crowd of captives. That's you and me. We were captive to our sin. We were captive under the authority or strength or power or whatever you might say of the devil. Okay. And we needed somebody to lead us out of that. Jesus did that. His ascension to heaven is the assurance of his victory to all of us. And in that, we're no longer captives to what was holding us and keeping us from knowing God and walking with him and loving others and being humble and being gentle and being patient and making allowance. That all comes from him. He has delivered us from ourselves. In other words, too, we don't really have an excuse. We've been set free live out a new life. Yeah. What a great word. And as Paul comments on this passage and gives a commentary here, you notice it says, notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. He has all authority. Brian's working through uh, Revelation, getting to the fun part at the end after all this warring and curses and bowls and all kinds of stuff. We're going to get there where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has all authority. I had a dream last night. I have weird dreams. Usually uh, I'm in a church somewhere. And it's supposed to be an evening service, and I'm not ready. And I can't get my clothes on right. I can't, I haven't prepared any message. I got to come up with something quick, and it's just awful. I'm, I'm just, man, not much sleep going on there. Ooh. Well, it wasn't that kind of a dream last night. I don't know where I was, but last night I was in a situation where I was preaching. And I was just hammering on this whole thing of Jesus being Lord. Probably just because that's what I've been thinking about this week, right? But I remember as I was speaking, you know, I was saying things like, you know, we might not always see it. We might not always feel it. We might not always understand it, but Jesus is Lord. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will come. You better. I mean, it was kind of one of those evangelistic moments. Okay, I don't know who it was, too. Probably to my dog or something, but. But you, you better remember this. You better get it right now. 
Don't wait till you have to bow down. Come to him now. That's the message of the gospel, isn't it? I probably was a little over the top in my dream as far as maybe my procedure. But I wasn't over the top as far as the truth. Right on. It's kind of fun to wake up from that dream. I had all my clothes on. It was good. <laughs> Crazy stuff, isn't it? Yeah. All right, well, let's move along. We've we got to get going here. Uh, Paul then talks about the gifts that Christ gave to the church. And as I said, this is not exhaustive, but this is definitely gifts that are given to the church so the church can be the church. <laughs> okay? These are leadership gifts that God gives to the church as a church. And the first one is apostles. Uh, the second one's prophets. Right? The third one's evangelists. And the fourth one, sometimes people have said it's the same. Um, I think it's two separate, but sometimes they come together. Pastor and teacher. Okay. By the way, as I read this and thought about it, Paul seemed to have all these gifts. <laughs> he did, right? I mean, he planted churches. He was an apostle. Okay. Christ called him. He, as a matter of fact, he wasn't one of the original ones, but, but Christ called him. He was the last of the apostles, right? And, and he planted churches, and that's basically what the apostolic role is, okay? The beginning of the church, to start it up, okay? Get it going. And, but he was also prophetic. I mean, he really addressed things. You know, prophetic is not just talking about the future, although it can be, and certainly in the Old Testament we see that quite extensively. But the New Testament prophet seems to be more of one who proclaims the truth and radically, basically, addresses things that need to be adjusted. Okay. Not foretelling, but foretelling the Word of God. Okay. So prophets, and Paul was certainly that. Paul was an evangelist. Yeah. Paul was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. My goodness, we see it all the time. That's why he's writing this right now. And he was a teacher. So it's not necessarily that a church has to have, you know, five or six different people designated by these titles. Um, although, nothing wrong with it. But I'm just saying, God can do it and he does it through. And he's the one that gives the gifts. He's the one that puts it together. Now, we, we have the blessing here um, of having different people in roles of leadership. Uh, we just talked about that this morning with, with the eldership. And, uh, you know, I think each of our elders have different gifts, obviously. Yeah. And they're carrying out their leadership according to the giftedness that God has given them. Um, but that's not to be just with pastor and with elders. It's to be all of us. And again, I want to emphasize, if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, it's going to be as we are helping each other with the giftedness that God gives us all. And so I think maybe one of the things in 2023 is to, be thinking about that, okay? What are our, is our giftedness? How do we act that out? How do we live it out? And I do believe that these key people in the church that God has put together for leadership are key factors in helping the rest of the body discover their giftedness and to serve. Do you see what Paul says the purpose of these is? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Unfortunately, most of the time in the American church, we see that we pay the people that do the work of the church. I don't think it's an evil thing, but I think it's a dangerous detour sometimes to what God intends. Certainly, it's important to have people that I think are regularly here and, and get things done. But I don't think that's ever an excuse for us to say, well, you know, we got a pastor, we got people on staff, we got all that. They're the ones that do the work of the church. It doesn't say that, does it? I think I read here it says that uh, really the role of those who have been assigned in leadership is to equip God's people to do his work. I, I think, by the way, sometimes pastors and, and leaders are their own worst enemy. I know I have been at times where I've tried to do all the work instead of doing what God calls me to do 
and that's to equip everybody else. But man, I, I'm owning that, folks. Okay, we got to do it together. <laughs> it's good when we do it together too. It's fun. It's it's great to see how God works through all of us. So good. Yeah, and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Our goal is that we are built up, and it says that the way we're built up is, and it'll be seen this way. We'll, we'll come to unity. This is kind of the measurement. We'll come to unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. Okay, we're going to become more one and one, one to one, more one, more unified as we grow in Christ. And we're going to love Jesus more and more. We're going to know him more. We're going to have faith in him more. We're going to have knowledge of him more. And then we will be mature in the Lord. And what is the measurement to maturity? Jesus. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Yeah. I mean, if we were to just to measure up to each other, we might get there quicker than in reality. <laughs> you know, and we do that sometimes, don't we? Well, I'm better than Joe. I'm better than Mary. I must be doing pretty good. Nah, it's not the measurement. Jesus is the measurement. Now, that's not to make us be discouraged, but that's to keep us striving forward, to allow him to change us. And that's our goal as to be this church, to be what God wants us to be. You see, if we are truly being the church, we are growing in unity. We are being equipped to do God's work and to build up the church. And we are becoming more like Christ. The measurement of success is, is not the numbers of people or the numbers of programs or a bigger building or the amount of offerings. Rather, it is spiritual growth and effectiveness in ministry. It's that each individual involved grows in Christ and is equipped to serve and actively does so. This should be our focus, our, our personal commitment, as Paul said in this letter, to be, be humble and gentle, to make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us, to serve the church with the gifts that God has given, and to become mature like Christ. And the result of this will be a place of security and growth in Christ. We'll be a healthy, loving church, rightly representing Christ. That's what our heart's desire is as, and direction here from this passage. Got a couple of more verses, and then we'll finish up. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is sort of a summary statement of what we've been reading. And uh, it's the goal for all of us to grow, to be like Jesus. If you have children, you've probably been had a picture like this maybe at your home where you've had a place to measure height. How you doing at this age? I know... In our house, in the garage, there, there's uh, the people that lived there before us. We still have the, the pencils on the wall where the writings where it says so-and-so was this high at this age and this high at this age. Yeah, kind of fun. We do that. Fun. Kids love it, right? Hey, man, look where I'm at now. That's kind of where we're to be at as followers of Christ. Um, certainly allowing him to measure us, not measuring ourselves about according to our own standards, but but that we should see growth, right? You should be different today than you were five years ago. You should be, I mean, you're not going to be perfect. We're still in the process, right? But, but, but you should be seeing yourself growing in, in these areas of patience and gentleness and humility. Guess what? If, if you're not, ask God to help you. Remember we talked about that last week. That's what prayer is about. Ask God to help us. He will. He's about that stuff. He'll help you. But also, the body of Christ helps us do that. Yeah, sometimes when we have those struggles of being patient and gentle and humble and all those things, it's a good thing. 
We don't like it. It doesn't feel good, but it kind of gets us to deal with what needs to be dealt with. It, it helps us to take the steps that are hard to do, and we need to encourage each other to do so and help each other do so. Sometimes you need a friend to help you deal with a friend who hasn't been so much of a friend. You know, we can help each other. We're not to stay babies, right, or little children. Rather, we're to be growing. And we are to be those who speak the truth in love. Those who speak the truth in love, hopefully, are also those who do so with love. And uh, as we do, we'll continue to grow in Christ. As I was reading through this passage, I was thinking... Paul wrote this to a real church in Ephesus and uh, gave them directions here. And I thought, I wonder wonder how they did. Well, you know, if you go to the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to this church. We can find out how they were doing. So hang with me just a little bit longer here, okay? Let's go to Revelation Actually, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, where Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus. (laughs) And he says this, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. Kind of that which Paul warned them about. You know, if you become a tour, then you're not going to, Go the wrong ways. Well, they did that. They didn't go the wrong way. They, they hung in there in the right thing. They were teaching the right thing. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Wow, sounds good. They did pretty good, didn't they? All right, let's keep reading. But I have this complaint against you. You, didn't, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who hear, with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Boy, as I read that, I thought, are Christ's words true for us? Have we at times lost our first love? Are we as loving to him and to each other as we may have been? an earlier time when it was fresh? I think that's a good question to ask. And it has to be responded with, not, oh, we got it together, (laughs) but as he says, with repentance. I think we all could pray that, Lord, I I failed you many times. I I just haven't been who you've made me to be. (laughs) I haven't been humble and gentle and kind and patient and made allowance for others, haven't really been seeking to serve and find that gift and, and, and love others with the gifts that you give me. I've I just kind of been returned to, I'm just going to, you know, I, I'm going to become, <laughs> excuse me, a Bible thumper, you know, where I've, I'm just going to tell everybody else that's evil, how bad they are. And we can kind of go there and lose the love of the love of Jesus, and the love of Jesus with each other. So as we enter a new year, may we repent where we need to. May we not lose that which matters. May we be a church not only that has stood for a hundred years, but one that's fresh and alive. A church where the people of this church are known as those who really love Jesus and really love each other. Isn't that what Jesus says matters? That's what he says. Don't worry about what I say. (laughs) Listen to what he says. 
That's our goal. That's our maturity. <laughs> That's when we're really alive. Oh, Lord, help us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you do love us with an everlasting love. And that your purchase for us on the cross and your victory over death from the grave and your position in heaven is one of total authority and you are the interceder for us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have moved away from our dependence on you for our very life and our salvation and our forgiveness. Forgive us where we haven't loved each other as you loved us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been stubborn and not humble, angry and not gentle, difficult and not patient, demanding rather than making allowances for those who fail. Jesus, may we be like you. We know that you are the one. You're the only one save. You're the only one who is truly, fully love. That which we so desperately need and desire. So as we enter this 101st year of this church, as we enter a new year living together, do your work here. Increase our love for you. For each other. In your precious name I pray. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no this morning. 
Great song to end with, huh? Great words. I'm going to leave you with uh, Paul's final words here in this book of Ephesians to the church there. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. <laughs> you know, we don't do it on our own, do we? May he give it to us. And may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.